It's fun to see all the name tags this morning for our Life Together series. Hopefully you're getting to know some names. And here's my hint for you. You don't have to ask, oh, is this your first Sunday? That can lead to awkward responses. (laughs) No, I've been here three years, but thank you for asking. All you have to say is, so how long have you been going here? You totally get out of that awkwardness. So as you're greeting one another, uh, as you leave from here and you're seeing some new names, you can just simply ask how long they've been coming. And it could be a week, it could be five years, and that's okay. Um, so I do hope that we get to know one another's names a bit more as we walk through this Life Together series. Uh, well, Shelly and I, as we were living in Jerusalem, it was amazing to watch people of different faiths engage in prayer and in religious activities. Uh, you visit the Western Wall. This is a place where a lot of times people have seen that. They want to go visit this place. When they come to Jerusalem, it's where they stick the papers in the wall. And you can watch Jews pray there. Of course, different people of different faiths may pray there as well. And you can go up some stairs to get up top of that area to the Al-Aqsa Mosque in the Dome of the Rock, where you can watch Muslims participate in prayers. And of course, we sit in church and we worship and pray. Why would all these people have that compulsion? Because it's God-given. We were created by God to worship. We want to adore something bigger than us. You were created by God for adoration. Now, if you were here with with us for our last series that we just finished last week, I'm going to quiz you. Who should we adore? That's right. And if you don't know the answer to a question, you can always answer Jesus, right? There was a a kid in Sunday school class, and the teacher was trying to open and engage the kids, and so she said, all right, kids, what is brown, has a big bushy tail, and hunts for nuts? Kid raises his hand. Well, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) So if you don't know, you can always answer Jesus. We don't worship him because Jesus needs to be worshiped but rather our heart desires to be reconnected with its creator. Everything that you worship that is not him will betray you as you seek to serve it. If you watched the Super Bowl last week, you had opportunity to see people worship sports and sports figures. Those who worshiped the Panthers last week were betrayed. (laughs) People worship lots of things in our culture. We were made to worship, but only the thing that's worthy of our worship will really satisfy us. We read about him this morning in Psalm 89. We serve a great and glorious God whose steadfast love and faithfulness never ceases. The word spoken this morning is the promise that he has given will be fulfilled. Because he's a great God. God is worthy of our worship. John Piper, the great mission-minded pastor, he asked the question, Why does missions exist? His answer, because worship doesn't. Our calling as humans is to worship God and to lead others in that as well. We live life together. We do life together because we come together to worship God and inspire others to do the same. But there are other things asking for our worship. Some choose to worship people, celebrities, even in Christian circles that happens. Some choose to worship the environment to save the planet. Now, don't get me wrong, we are called to steward the planet in which we live on, but we are not called to worship it. Some worship adventure, the next great thrill. Even noble things can be elevated to a higher level than they're meant, like prayer, worship songs, and even the Bible. We are not called to worship prayer. 
Prayer is important, but it is not God. We're not called to worship singing songs, even if they are about God. We're not even called to worship the Word of God. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back to this and how we should revere the Word, but we're not called to worship it. We are called to worship God and God alone. May we not mistake that. In John chapter 4, Jesus talks about true worshipers. What we will find in this passage and a couple of others that we're going to examine this morning is that true worshipers are wholly zealous for God in the arena of life. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 4. This passage gives us some instruction on worship. Jesus is sitting in conversation with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. So I'm going to start by reading verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. True worshipers do not limit their worship of God to certain times or to particular places. In John chapter 4, Jesus helps to define where worship takes place. In talking with the woman at the well, Jesus shares that a day is coming when location will not matter. Neither on this mountain in Gerizim nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. On the next slide here, this is a a picture to kind of help give you an idea of where we're talking about. So there's a map. That Samaria is, if you can't find it, it should be there in the purple. Yep, you can see a triangle with Mount Gerizim. At least I can, not to say you can. Um, But what you see here on the picture, parents of child, nine mil, you are needed in the big backyard. (laughs) What we have here, I'm actually standing on top of Mount Gerizim. So this is, uh, I had visited a couple of times while we were in Jerusalem. And you look across the way and there's Mount Ebal. And this is looking down into the valley. Jacob's well is down in this valley where this town is. That's the town of, uh, of Nablus. So that is where Jacob's well is. So Jesus is in this area, Samaria. And you can see what the important part of this land is, is that the Israelites, when they came into the land, this is a place where they initially set up. You see this in Deuteronomy 11 and in Joshua 8. And it shares an account where the 12 tribes, what they do is half of them stand on Mount Gerizim, half of them on Mount Ebal, and they kind of banter back and forth. Blessings are, are pronounced from Mount Gerizim, curses from Mount Ebal. And it's talking about what God will do if you honor him in the land and also what will happen if you don't. This is in Deuteronomy 11 and Joshua 8. You can look it up later if you're interested. Now, to this day, the Samaritans still consider Mount Gerizim a holy place. There are Samaritans still in this area. You can go and visit them. Uh, It's only several hundred of them, Um, but they stay there, and they still consider Mount Gerizim a holy mountain, while the Jews worshiped God in the temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. So Jesus is talking about, look, we know that these are considered holy places, but there's a day coming where location won't matter. It's a pretty bold declaration. So the Samaritan woman begins asking, so my holy mountain is no longer important? And for the Jew, who wasn't sitting there at the time that Jesus said this, but what he's saying is, is the temple will no longer matter. And here's why, because Jesus is alluding to the Holy Spirit coming and being in our lives. Reading from 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
We carry God's Spirit with us wherever we go. God's Spirit doesn't reside in one location. And I'm going to put this application to us here. God's Spirit doesn't just sit here in this sanctuary. It goes with you as you leave from this place. We are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, his followers, his disciples, his worshipers. Worship of God is no longer defined by time or space. It doesn't just happen during festival, festivals or in specific locations. Our worship experience is meant to be boundless. We can worship God at any time of the day, in any activity, wherever we are at. And let me mention this in the context of abiding. I, I got together with a guy for, for breakfast this last week, and we were talking about the message from last Sunday, abiding, expending an extravagant amount of time with Jesus But, you know, the reality is a lot of us have very, very busy schedules. And it might be hard to find a chunk in the morning to spend with Jesus. But abiding isn't meant for just one specific time. Paul talks about praying ceaselessly. As you're moving through your day, sing some songs of worship. Now, depending on where you're at, people may look at you a little bit weird. um, So you may want to consider that. But as you're driving, you can take that time to pray. The focus of abiding is to keep the mind of Christ. There is something from centuries ago, it was called breath prayers. And it was a way for people during specific points of the day to train themselves to keep their mind on Christ. So a simple way to do that is every time you walk through a door, you can state the phrase, be near me, Lord Jesus. And not that it's just that we want to program ourselves, but we do want to, with some intentionality, have the mind of Christ as we go about our day. So you should be abiding not just in specific times, but throughout your entire day. We worship God in the arena of life. He makes our whole life worship. You know, we come together for worship gatherings on Sunday mornings, but our worship of God should extend far beyond this place. It should go with us everywhere we go. Our daily work, our words, our actions, our whole life is worship. Buying groceries is worship. Teachers grading papers, maybe not for the youth group over here, it's worship. Looking after cows is worship. Staying at home with kids is worship. Your daily activities are meant to be a place where God is glorified. You know, true worshipers, not only is, do they worship in the arena of life, but they worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit, in the way that Jesus uses the term, is defined as the seat of emotions, intellectual functions, and attitude of will. So worshiping in spirit is worshiping emotionally, intellectually, and willfully. You know, some people, they worship with too much heart and not enough head. That's not what Jesus is meaning. Others are prone to worship with their heads, and they totally leave their heart void. But Jesus says, true worshipers worship with all that they are, engaging their emotions, their intellect, and their will. Jesus says his worshipers worship in spirit, but also in truth. Truth is defined by someone's speech, what they say, by their actions, what they do, and by their thoughts, everything that they think. So true worshipers worship emotionally, intellectually, and willfully, and they do it in their speech, in their actions, and in their thoughts. So we come together on a Sunday morning to worship in spirit, and you should do this in your abiding time as well. Engage emotionally, but engage intellectually and engage willfully, yielding to what the Lord wants to do in your life. This should happen in your abiding time as well. And then we leave from this place and we worship in truth with what we say, with what we do, 
and the way that we think. Our whole life is centered in worship of God. So my question is, do you come here on a Sunday morning engaging your heart, your mind, and your will? Or do you sit in your seat, not singing songs, not engaging your heart? Are you daydreaming as we talk about the Word, not engaging your mind? Do you willfully choose to come and spectate instead of engaging with others and with the elements of our service? To be a true worshiper, you must engage your entire spirit during our worship gatherings. Second question is, do you leave from here representing God with what you say, what you do, and what you think? In other words, if God heard your conversations, would he be satisfied? If God saw how you acted, would he be pleased? If he heard your thoughts, would he be happy? And by the way, he hears your conversations, he sees how you act, he knows your thoughts, so it's something to consider. So true worshipers worship in the arena of life, and they do it in spirit and truth, but true worshipers also relentlessly and zealously worship God. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is in Miletus. He's meeting with the Ephesian elders for the last time. At this point, Paul has ministered in Ephesus for two years, making disciples, teaching and training church planners throughout all of Asia Minor. One of the joys of having lived and worked overseas is the ability to travel, So Shelly and I and our family, we got to visit Turkey twice, and on one of those visits, I got to visit Miletus. So here's a picture of Miletus today. Uh, The map shows you where that's at. So it used to be a harbor town. Now, because of the way that uh, uh, the land has grown, it's not really a harbor town, but you can see it in the the far corner here. This is the arena and one of the bathhouses. So Miletus was a place that Paul said, I'm going to meet up with my Ephesian elders. It was a harbor town, a place to stop and meet. And at this point, Paul has traveled extensively throughout the Roman world, setting up churches, training leaders, making disciples. He's been very busy for 20 years, making the name of Jesus famous throughout the ancient world. He's been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. I was talking with somebody, and we were talking about Paul, and he surmised this. He said, you know, when Paul left a town... He either left it in revival or revolution. (laughs) Um, You look, and that's pretty much the case. And here's what, all of this in mind, here's what Paul shares with the Ephesian elders, reading from Acts 20.24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel and to the grace of God. Paul's life of worship included finishing well completing the task given by him, by Jesus. In Romans 12, Paul describes worship in the marks of a true Christian. Here's how he defines it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly, and I'll insert sisterly, affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be lacking in zeal. Be fervent, passionate in spirit. Serve the Lord. One of the vital characteristics of a true worshiper is a zeal, a passionate fervor for the things of God. Jesus, on several occasions, commends people with bold persistence or passion. He tells the story of a man who wakes his neighbor in the middle of the night asking for bread, and due to his persistence, he gets what he wants. 
Jesus declares. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. A true worshiper is someone who not only knows but has a consuming passion to live intensely for Jesus every single moment. We see this in the lives of many biblical figures. See, Elijah is a prominent one. You look at Elijah, he lived his life at 100 miles an hour all the time. Now you look at 1 Kings 18, it outlines the story of, of Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. Here's a, a picture of where he was at on Mount Carmel. So Mount Carmel's in northern Israel, you can see it right up there by the Kishon River. This is a, basically a statue or whatever that they put on the top where they think this happened. The important thing is, is you can look down off this mountain, down into the Jezreel Valley. What I want you to pay attention to is look where Mount Carmel is and where the Kishon River is. Because when you look at this story, you'll see what kind of energy this guy had. Because Elijah, he climbs this mountain. He argues with the priests of Baal. And around three in the afternoon, he gets tired of arguing. He builds an altar out of rocks takes a bull and slaughters it. Okay, that's not easy. Lays it on the altar, prays intensely. Fire comes down from heaven, consuming it all. He rounds up all the priests, hundreds of them, walks down the mountain, a mile or two, to a river, the Kishon River you see there, and orders the priests killed. Then he climbs back up to the top of the mountain, prays for rain, comes back down the mountain, tucks up his robe, and runs 18 miles to Jezreel. Anybody in here have that kind of energy? I don't. Elijah had an all-consuming passion for God. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? One of the responses given was Elijah. Why do you think people said Jesus might be Elijah? He must have had a fire in him that said, whoa, this guy's got what Elijah's got. They said the same of John the Baptist. John and Jesus were men of intense drive in their walk with God. They were passionate worshipers. Do you have a fire for Jesus in the things of God? Because if you do, it's easy to worship in spirit and truth. To worship with emotion, intellect, and will. To represent Jesus in speech, actions, and thoughts. Paul describes this by telling the Ephesian elders, Look, I have faced a lot of hardships, but there's a raging fire within me that causes me to want to finish the race well. What God asks of you and me is, Are you willing to passionately worship and to run with everything you've got every second of the race? And what is the race? Here's what Paul says. My life counts for nothing if I can only complete the task of being a living witness to the teachings of Jesus and to the grace of God. The race is worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth every moment of every day and encouraging others to do the same. Hebrews 12 says, Run with endurance the race God has set before you by keeping your eyes on Jesus the champion. I love that phrase. Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects your faith. We have that verse on a wall in our house and we're going to come back to it in a couple of weeks. So here's the deal. If you're following Jesus, you are following people who have already run this race, who understand its challenges, and they watch you cheering you on. Hebrews 11 names some of them. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, David, Samuel. 
For some in this room, it could include parents or grandparents. They've run the race ahead of you, and now they're saying you can do it as well. Hebrews 12 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great, huge crowd of witnesses, for the joy of worshiping King Jesus, passionately run. And what uh, Shelley and I have talked about, we've had what seems like different lives. In a former life, I was a track coach. And I used to coach uh, high school track and encouraged our athletes to cheer others on their team as they raced. We need to be that kind of community. Let's be that kind of family as we talk about life together. Let's cheer each other on in the race God has set before us, saying, keep going. The race can seem long, but you know what? You're doing great. Keep running. You may fall. You may trip over a hurdle, but get back up. You're doing fantastic. Keep running. As a coach, I'd ask my athletes, did you give it your all? Did you leave everything on the track? And most would answer, yes, coach, and you could tell when they did. But there were some who said, you know, I think I could have given more. I don't want to cross the finish line telling this great crowd of witnesses I could have done better. What will you have to tell them? Personally, I don't want to stand before God knowing I could have been a better worshiper. I could have given more. I didn't put it all out there. You must come every Sunday with a desire to engage your emotions, your intellect, and your will. And you must walk out of here worshiping God with your speech, your actions, and your thoughts. Everything devoted to him. What could happen through our church if it was filled with people dedicated to being true worshipers? Every moment of every day in worship of God. The Son of God who willingly laid down his life is worthy of your worship to be reconnected with your Creator. So let's run the race well knowing Jesus stands at the finish line. Have you recognized your need to become a true worshiper as defined by Jesus? Do you desire to be wholly zealous for God in the arena of life? You can start by making a commitment to leave from here, worshiping in truth, acknowledging Jesus in what you say and how you act, and you can practice this at lunch and everything that you think. And then you can come back next Sunday. You can take time this week as you abide and worship him in spirit with your emotions, your intellect, and your will. So what I'd like to do as we close today is I actually want you to talk to the person next to you. I know, Pastor, we don't talk to people in church. Well, I'm going to make you. Um, it's part of being life together. The reason you have your name tag is if you don't know the person. You've already got a, a leg up on them. But I want you to talk to the person next to you, and I want you to make application to say, you know what, as I leave from here, this is the way that I will intention myself to worship in spirit and truth, to worship in what I say and what I do and what I speak. So go ahead, take a minute, talk with your neighbor, let them know how you intend to worship in spirit and truth, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. So go ahead, take a minute, talk to your neighbor now. Ask them how they're going to worship in spirit and truth this week. Lord, help us to be a community of true worshipers. Let me just close us in prayer. Oh God, we just thank you that we can come together, that we can experience life together in church, but Lord, that church is more than a service. And God, I pray that you would impassion hearts here today to leave from this place to worship you in truth and what they do and what they say and, and what they think. May your name be glorified. God, we just ask that as they take time to abide this week, as they come back next Sunday, that they would commit themselves to worshiping in spirit with their emotions, with their intellect, with their will. God, may every part of our lives be dedicated to you and your glory. God, we just pray that as we leave from this place that
that you would inspire us toward running the race well, knowing that you are standing at the finish line. I just pray that we would come to the end and realize we gave it our all in worship of you, King Jesus. God, I pray that uh, as, as these families have dedicated children to your service and to your hand upon their lives, I pray that you'd equip them to be the parents that you've called them to be for the sake of these kids. Um, help them to parent well. God, I do pray that you would restore relationships between parent and child, Lord, between husband and wife, between, between parent and, and, and sibling. God, we just pray that you would restore relationships between children and grandchildren. I just pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to recognize and, and see your hand at work in all of our lives and all of our relationships. In your name we pray, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May he show you his mercy and grant you his peace. Amen. Go with God.